Um, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel mentioned, um, you know, talking about the, the thing we're going to talk about this morning is life being unfair and dealing with the idea that life is unfair. And for our guests that are here, we are so glad that you're here because we have a God and we've been discovered by a God who's been an anchor for us through all the storms in life, through all the unfairness and the difficulties that we have. And we want to share that. We want to share that love that's been a rock-solid foundation for us. And that's why we're excited that you're here. You'll notice you've got notes in the bulletins that we handed out. Um, those are for your encouragement. You can um, fill them out, study them in your own time, share them in your, uh, your cell group time, our small groups that we have. Um, and we'll kind of fill in those blanks as we go. Um, but the theme that we've been going through in this series is a wise guy wanted to know. And we're talking about Solomon, who, like we've been talking about, was the wisest man who ever lived. That's how the Bible describes him. It says he is the wisest man who ever lived at his time and who will ever live. He had more wisdom than anyone else. And what we've been talking about is that Solomon didn't just get zapped with wisdom. He didn't just instantly get downloaded with all the wisdom in the world. Solomon learned wisdom by making a lot of really dumb decisions. Because he had unlimited wealth, and he had unlimited resources, unlimited power. And so because of that, he was able to make all the bad decisions we could make, but more so. And so he did all these things, and he chased all these things that we chase. And as he chased those things, he learned wisdom. He learned what was really important. And he asked, what's wild is, he asks 3,000 years ago the same questions we ask today. He asked things like, what's the purpose for my life? He asked things like... How do I make the most of my time? And he asked things like, what's up with the world being so unfair? This was, I would say, the biggest hindrance to me becoming a Christian for most of my life, or, or at least this <laughs> is beginning to be less and less most of my life now as I get older. But um, there was a long time where I didn't want anything to do with Christianity because I didn't understand how could there be a God who is good and who does love me and makes a world like this? Because it doesn't make any sense. There's just messed up stuff that goes on. And I had friends who were asking the same things. If, if God loves me, why are my parents getting divorced? If God loves me, why did my friend commit suicide? If my God loves me, why do I keep sticking these needles in my arm? If my God loves me, then why is this world so broken? Right? How can a loving God make a world like this? And it's a real question. It's a question that caused me to step away from God for a long time. And to be frank, it's a question that Solomon stepped away from God for a long time when he couldn't come up with an answer for a while. And so it's, it's an understandable thing, and I think it's something that we can relate to. And it's just part of human nature that, that we're going to ask these questions. And so Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.1, he says, Next I turn to consider all kinds of oppression that exists on this earth. I considered all kinds of oppression that exists on this earth. All the unfairness. He looked around at all the unfairness in the world. He said, what is up with this? Why is this life so unfair? And I think it's a fair question to ask. And so we're going to tackle this from three different directions. We're going to talk about facing the truth that life is unfair, tackling the, the reality that it is unfair. And then we're going to talk about why does God allow it to be this way? Why does God let this stuff keep going on? And then finally, we're going to talk about how we can respond to the fact that it's unfair and still find a blessing and be a blessing to others. So we're going to go through that kind of step by step. And we're going to start with facing the reality that life is unfair. Because if you will admit that life is unfair, you're going to be way ahead of the game. 
Our expectations have so much to do with how we handle things, right? If we expect things to go a certain way, then when they don't meet those expectations, we're, we really have a hard time with that, right? Like that's super difficult. Um, my son, we were, we were going out to the mall last night and he said, I just want to go to the mall. And he kept saying, I want to go to the mall. I want to go to the mall. And he said, why do you want to go to the mall? Oh, I just have all these memories of us talking and, and having fun and eating at the food court. That's why I want to go to the mall. I'm like, are you sure you don't want to buy something at the mall? Because you don't have any money. He's like, no, no, no. I just, I just want to, I just remember so many good memories of us talking and walking. And we get there and come to find out he was really expecting to buy something at the mall. And he was crushed. I'm like, son. Like, we, we established we were not buying at the mall. Our expectations completely change how we view a situation. And so we've got to say from the start that life is unfair. And I want us all to be on the same page with that. So can you say with me, life is unfair? You ready? Life is unfair. We acknowledge that, right? That matches everything in our experience. Life is just flat out unfair. So we're going to talk about some of the ways that we acknowledge that life is unfair. Because, again, this is wild. Solomon said this 3,000 years ago, and we haven't made a ton of progress on it, all right? The first thing he says is that criminals go unpunished. In Ecclesiastes 8.11, it says, why do people commit crimes? Because crime is not punished quickly enough. We always grow up hearing crime doesn't pay. <clears throat> sometimes crime pays. Sometimes crime pays a lot, and sometimes you don't get caught. And sometimes you get caught, and our justice system doesn't deliver the justice. There's a lot of times where crime pays a lot. And so it's frustrating for us to go through and see these ridiculous situations where someone gets wronged or someone gets hurt and it just goes by the wayside and nothing happens because of it. And it's frustrating and it's ridiculous. And it happened 3,000 years ago and it's still happening today. That criminals do not get punished. That those who do wrong don't receive what you would think they'd receive from that. The second thing that Solomon notices is that the oppressed are unaided. He says, then I looked again at all the injustice that goes on in this world. The oppressed were crying and no one would help them. Their oppressors had power on their side. This is not new. Throughout history, the rich have put down the poor, right? You see men putting down women. You see race putting down another race. You see all kinds of situations where as soon as someone gets a little bit of power or influence, they push someone else down. It happens over and over and over again. And you see it happening, and as long as you're the one in charge, then it doesn't seem that bad, right? Like, as long as you're the one who's privileged, then it, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But when you're on the receiving end of it, then it's not so great. And a lot of times, God's people, and especially in the Old Testament in Israel, they were on the wrong end of this. They were, it's hilarious, there's a point in the New Testament where um, Jesus is talking about how um, they're under slavery to their sin, and, and they said, we've never been slaves to anybody and we've never been ruled by anybody. And he just like does a double take. Like what? Like we've been ruled by everybody. Like every major world power has had Israel as a territory at one point or another, right? Like we've been ruled by everybody. Over and over and over again, we see that, that there's just the ones who need the help the most often don't get it. In the last decade, over a million Christians have died for their faith. In China and in India and other countries, over a million Christians have died simply for being a believer. There's nothing fair about that. There's no way you can paint that picture and make it fair. And so we've got to deal with the fact that it's happening. It is happening. There is a God, and it is unfair. And so what do we do with that? Solomon notices 
and I want you to brace yourselves here, this is going to shock you, <laughs> that politicians are unethical. I know, we, I know we've moved past this now, so it seems a little old-fashioned. No, politicians are unethical. This is not new. He says, and again, this is, this is the king talking, so it's his country, <laughs> it's his government, literally. He says, if you see miscarriage of justice anywhere throughout the land, don't be surprised. For every official is under orders from higher up, and the higher up officials look to their superiors, and so the matter's lost in red tape and bureaucracy. This is not new. Stuff, important stuff, not getting done is not new. The fact that we can look at TPS and see that it's a train wreck, and everyone in this city acknowledges a train wreck and nothing's been done about it is not new. Right, the IPS at Israel Public Schools were probably a mess, right? And, and everyone complained about it, everyone talked about it, nothing got done because it got lost in red tape. And you see public service, we talk about it as public service. Well, the higher you go, the more it becomes about the money that you can make from it, the more about the power you can get from it, playing the games and playing the politics. It's unethical and we all see it. We get election after election after election where we say, can I get an option C? <laughs> like there's no good choice because it's unfair what's set up there. I love this line from Solomon, again, about his government. In Ecclesiastes 10, 5 through 6, he says, Here's an injustice I've seen, an injustice caused by rulers. Stupid people are given positions of authority. <laughs> right? Like, it's just people, decisions that are made are insane and make no sense. And you can look at them way out and say, if you do this, it will go bad. If you build this road and it cracks for the entire history of Tulsa, then you build another road of the same material. <laughs> Let's keep doing it. <laughs> You're going to have a bad time. Solomon looks out and he sees that good people are unrewarded. This is one of the main things we hear over and over and over again. Why do bad things happen to good people? He says there's something else. Righteous men who, who, get, what they, who get what the wicked deserve and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. Right? The good people get what the bad people should get and the bad people get what the good people should get. The, the nicest, most lovely, admirable people I have ever met were my parents. And they got T-boned by a van coming out of a car, coming out of nowhere. They were just gone. They didn't deserve that. There's nothing, there's, you can't paint that in a way that makes sense. You can't paint that in a way that, that lands and says, okay, that's fair enough. Right? And all of us have situations where we have someone that we love that got sick or got hurt or got abused or got, you know, job loss or you name it. And we look at it and we're like, that was the nicest guy. You hear that all the time. Man, they were the nicest person. And yet this happened to them. It came out of nowhere. Good people are unrewarded. The best man or woman for the job does not always get the job. That, that you know, when I, I've worked in sales before, and a lot of times the top earners in sales were the ones who were willing to do the shadiest stuff to get what a, whatever sales they wanted. They were the ones a lot of times who got ahead. It was unfair and it was frustrating. You know, Solomon was frustrated by it, and he says, you know, that in another verse, this isn't on there, but he says, the good die young, and it seems the evil people live on and on. There's a, there's a quote I heard. And he said, uh, I've never prayed that someone would die, but I've smiled when I've read a couple of obituaries. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> it's this guy that, it's unfair. You look at it and you say, this is messed up. How can this person who is evil and, and making all these awful decisions get all this great, all these seemingly great rewards and the good people get a mess? And finally, he sees that capable people are unsuccessful. 
Capable people are unsuccessful. He says, in this world, fast runners don't always win the races. Wise men don't always earn a living. Intelligent, intelligent men don't always get rich. And capable men don't always rise to high positions. We all know the athlete who was top of the state and blew out an ACL right before their college career. The, the Olympic athlete right, who trains for something that only happens once every four years and gets an injury or gets sick right before it and, and can't compete. It's unfair, right? Sometimes you work really hard and you look at, and you're like, man, I went to school for six years and I worked my tail off and I became a master in my, in my field and I can't make as much as this person who takes pictures on Instagram and tells me to drink the certain soda, right? Like it's wild. It's unreal. It's unfair. Capable people aren't always successful. And so we look at all this and we, we take the, the whole body of it and I think we can all identify with these and say that, that there's a lot about life that, that is simply unfair. It is broken. There's a system here that is broken. And so we've got to wrap our heads around this and figure out why does God look at all of this? Why does a good and loving God look at all of this situation and let it keep happening? And so we're going to tackle why. Why does God let this happen? Let's find the reasons. And the first reason that he lets all this happen is because he gives us the freedom to choose. God gives us the freedom to choose. He created us, and he can create us however he wants. When you make something, you make it how you want, if you're skilled enough, right? And, and God is not lacking in skill. He made us, he designed us exactly the way he wanted us to. He wanted to. And part of that creation was to make us in his image and to give us choice. In Deuteronomy 11.26, God says, I'm giving you a choice. I'm giving you the choice between a blessing and a curse. And he gives us that choice over and over and over again. You can follow me and be blessed, or you can follow your own way and be cursed. And it doesn't mean that God is cursing us. It means that there is a curse attached to us following our own way. That there is, there is, if God has the perfect way and we choose a different way, right, that is by definition a worse way. Right? Anything we pick that is not God's is worse than what he's choos chosen for us. And we have this freedom to choose what we want, but what we don't have is the freedom to choose the consequences of those choices. Right? We can choose whatever we want. We can choose to do what we want to do, but there are natural things that come with that. And we don't always get to dictate what that is. You know, when my kids get upset, you know, and, and they're having a bad attitude, we say, okay, one more chance, one more chance to change your attitude. And they still still pouting, and then all of a sudden the time comes and they lose out on dessert or they lose out on a you know privilege. They get around, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, right? Like it's too late. There are consequences. You can't choose your you chose your attitude. Now you now you don't get to choose your consequences. And so God gives us the chance to accept or reject Him because that's how love works. I can I can pull out my phone and say you know hey siri tell me you love me and it can tell me it loves me it doesn't mean that my phone loves me right like it has no agency it has no choice in this program to do the things that i tell it to do there's if there's no choice there is no love right you cannot have love without choice and so for god to create a people a people capable of love and a people in his image choice had to be built in and the problem of choice is that you get to choose the wrong thing if you want. You hear me, church? Sometimes when we have, there's no way around it. The only way to give us choice is to allow us to choose the wrong thing. And that's super hard to do with someone you love. 
That's really hard because when they do choose the wrong thing and they harm themselves, they fall into a bad situation. It's so hard to watch. And that's what God has been putting up with. It's not that, that we're out here struggling through all this mess and God is back there just laughing. Right? God sees all this and he's heartbroken about it. He talks about it in scripture all the time. He's more upset than we are about it. Because he sees us making choice after choice after choice. And when I look at, when I make the list of things that have happened in my life that were unfair, and I think all of us could do that. If you sit down in your life and you talk about all the injustices, all the messed up decisions, all the, all the messed up things that you've gone through in your life, there are some things that are just freak accidents. There's, there's illness, there's natural disasters and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. But I would say 90% of the things that we go through that are unfair would have been avoided if people had followed God's design for their life. Yeah. Doesn't mean you necessarily made the wrong decision, but somewhere along the line, someone made the wrong decision and it led to the unfairness in your life. So much of the hurt in our life, so much of the difficult things that we go through in life are because God gave us this choice, this ability to choose. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad he gave us that choice because the alternative would be for us to just be animals, right? To not have that, to not have all the beauty that comes with the choice, to not have the beauty of saying, I choose you and I care about you and I'm, I'm going to commit myself to being with you. All the things that we honor and ex get excited about in relationships, all the beauty in life comes from the choices that we make as well. But there's a flip side to that. And sometimes, again, a lot of times what we go through is, is not because of, of what we've done, but sometimes it is. And sometimes we make choices and reap the curse that comes from that and then get mad at God because it happened. Right? Like a spoiled child, we stamp our feet and say, you know, why did you let this happen to me? You know, I know I didn't study all semester, but why did you let me fail? I prayed right before the test. Right? <laughs> sure, I slept through my alarm six times, but why did you take this job from me? Right? We get so upset. I, you know, everybody warned me about that guy, but, you know, I... Why do you let me fall into this relationship? Everybody warned me about, you know, it's over and over again we blame God for some of the things that, that really are our choice. And again, not everything is, and there are choices that other people make that afflict us, and that's because God gives us that freedom to choose. But sometimes we get mad at God for choices we make. And so I give you two challenges. We need to stop being mad for our choice to ignore him when we make the wrong decision, right? We've got to stop being mad at God for natural consequences to our choices. And we've got to let him be Lord and start listening instead of talking over him, right? And let him make some of the decisions. Let him take the wheel instead of us making these decisions that are wrecking our lives. So God lets all this stuff go on because he, he gave us free will. He chose to give us free will, and that's a good thing. The other reason, one of the other reasons he lets us go on is because judgment is coming. It's not that he forgot or is unfair or doesn't see what's going on. It just hasn't been made right yet. Judgment is coming. Ecclesiastes 3.17 says, In due season God will judge everything man does, both good and bad. Judgment is coming. Isaiah 30, 18 says, God is a God of justice. God demands justice. He's a lot more fair than we are, right? When we come up with a justice system, right? We're forever hearing about people on death row getting out, right? Right before they get executed. We're forever hearing about all these unfair things and people getting off the hook for things that we know they did wrong. 
but justice is coming. And the, the idea of a God of wrath, a God that is coming with justice, is really unpopular, and we like to write it out. But for a lot of people in a lot of cultures, it was a message of hope. When you are the oppressor, then the God of justice coming is not good news. But when you are the oppressed, when you're going through all of it, then justice coming is exactly what you want because all you've known is injustice. All you've known is unfairness. And so praise God that he's coming to set things right, that he's coming to balance the books. Praise God that he's doing that. I don't want a God who looks at all of this and says, I'm going to stand back. We're just going to leave this just how it is. I want to follow a God who sees all of this and is determined to set it right, and he will. God is described as a lion and a lamb. He's coming with grace, but he's also coming with justice. He's going to set it right. And those who are enemies, those who are enemies of God and enemies of his people. And I don't just mean people that, that follow God, but people that are enemies of humanity, that are, that are doing wrong, that are attacking others, that are hurting others. There's going to be justice coming. And all this injustice we see in the world is going to be set right. In John 12, 47 through 48, it says, But everyone who rejects me and my teachings will be judged on the last day by what I've said. And that's right after Jesus says, I didn't come to judge the world, but to save it. And that's true. But there's going to come a time where we've got to set, he's going to set things right. And we'll have to answer for the things that we've done. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad that there's an end date where things are going to be made right. And he doesn't do it in a hurry because of that grace that we talked about. We talked about judgment is coming in the future. Why hasn't it happened yet? The Bible says because God isn't slow as we understand slow. He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. Because he wants everyone to be saved. And so he's giving us as much time as he possibly can. He is stretching it out as far as he possibly can. Because he wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to rejoice and, and, and be glad on the day that judgment comes. Because judgment day is not an ugly word. Right? We've, we've talked before about, you know, your, your idea of what dad coming home looks like depends a lot on what you did earlier in the day. Right? right. Judgment day is not a bad thing. Dad coming home is not a bad thing if you've been following what dad told you to do. It's a, it's a joyful thing. It's an exciting thing. When God comes back and we've been following him and, and following his purposes, then we can leave behind all of this mess, all this injustice, all this time where it's been unfair, where we've gotten the short end of the stick, where we've been hurt, where we've been harmed. We can leave all that behind and go to a place where there's no more tears and no more hurt and no more pain. Praise God for that. I can't wait for the day where things are set right. And finally... He lets all this happen. Oh, sorry, not fine. Okay, there's two more. All right, so um, God lets all this happen in part to show us that I need a Savior. Part of the reason God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden was to show them, you think you can do this stuff on your own. It's not working well for you. You need a Savior. Ecclesiastes 7.20, again, 1,000 years before Jesus was born says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. No one can claim that. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone falls short. In 3.18, it says, God is letting the world go on its sinful way so that he can test mankind, so that men will see that they are no better than beasts. Sometimes we make decisions that don't make any, that are completely fueled by emotion. 
that are completely fueled by what we feel like doing, and those are almost always the wrong decision, right? If I eat what I feel like eating, there's a curse that comes with that, right? Like there's, that's a bad decision most of the time. When we do what we feel like doing, when I'm, when I'm filled with rage at the way someone treated me, right? What I feel like doing is almost always the wrong thing to do in that moment, right? When we're just driven like beasts into what we feel. And we're, we're surrounded by a world that tells us do what you feel, right? Follow your heart. Do what you feel is right. That's the worst advice, right? Amen, church? That's the worst advice. If I always did what I felt, that would be awful. And none of you would like that, right? The, the good part of us, the best part of us, what our parents spend years training into us, hopefully, or what we have to learn the hard way if they don't, is that you've got to control the decisions that you make. And they, a lot of times, you're just not strong enough to do that. And we need someone to help. And we need someone to show us the right way when we don't know where to go. We need a Savior. We need to be saved. We have all sinned, yet now God declares us not guilty if we trust in Jesus Christ who freely takes away our sins. We need a Savior to save us from our mess. And a lot of the stuff that goes on in this world reminds us of that. It reminds us that this is too much for us to handle and that we need a God to save us. Finally, for real, on this one, he lets some of it go on because pain can develop character. Some of the stuff he lets go on because pain can develop character. It doesn't mean that he did that thing to you so that you would develop character. Do you hear me? It doesn't mean that God sent the thing that harmed you, but it does mean that now that it has happened, He's going to use that pain to develop your character if you'll let him. And you will be stronger at the end of it than you were at the beginning. And he will turn the curse into a blessing. He can turn some of this unfairness. You heard Daniel talk about in his story with communion, how he took something that was, that was unfair. He took something that looked like a blessing from God that got stripped away from him. And God turned it into a blessing he never saw coming. But he had to stay faithful to receive that blessing. He had to stay faithful to get to the other end of that because pain can develop character. It says, even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence knowing that our pressures will develop us in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will define our character and proven character leads us back to hope. We are not meant to be weak in this life. We're meant to be strong. And just like Solomon didn't get wisdom instantly downloaded, we don't get strength instantly downloaded. We become strong through the pains that we go through and staying faithful to God and letting him carry us through those and giving us the tools we need to keep going. So as we go through that, we've talked about recognizing that life is unfair. We've talked about why God lets some of this go on. Now we have a choice. Again, we're back to choice. How will I react? Life is unfair. We've acknowledged that. What am I going to do about that? I have a loving God who's got his reasons for why this world is the way it is. What am I going to do about that? How should I react? The first thing I'm going to do, again, is just concede that life is unfair. John, John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. And he finishes it by saying, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen. In this, Jesus promises we will have trouble. 
This is not taking him by surprise. He doesn't look at the hard things in your life and be like, man, I didn't sign up for that. Right? Like, what do we promise when we, you know, in a, in a wedding ceremony, right? What's one of the things that you hear? In sickness and in health, for better or for worse. Because when you're in a committed relationship, you recognize that there are things that are going to go bad in that time, in any kind of relationship. And God commits to a relationship with us and says, look, I'm in it, for better or for worse. Bad is coming. Unfairness is coming. And if I admit that and I'm ready for that, then I'm going to receive it in a better way. And I'm not going to say, God, why did you do that to me? I'm going to say, God, save me. Protect me. Get me through this. Help me to be powerful through this. So we've got to concede from the start that life is unfair and then accept what Jesus called us to. Um, and that's to tackle that life on its face. Second thing, we've got to commit ourselves to God the way that God committed himself to us. God committed himself to us first, right? While we were still enemies, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us. He didn't wait for us to, to decide what we wanted to do. On the off chance that we would choose him, he sent his son to die. We don't get to trust him in his commitment in this deal, right? He already went as far as he can go. And so now it's our turn. It's our turn to commit ourselves to God and answer that commitment that he gave us. And 1 Peter 2, 23, it says, Indeed, this is part of your calling. For Christ suffered for you and left you a personal example and wants you to follow in his steps. Who committed, he who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth, yet when he was insulted, he offered no insult in return. When he suffered, he made no threats of revenge. He simply committed his cause to the one who judges fairly. Jesus came and he said, I trust that if I do the right thing, then God will make it work in the end. It's not what I want. I'm afraid. I'm terrified. Jesus was sweating like drops of blood in the garden because of what he was about to go through for us. But he trusted. And that's the word here. When it talks about committed, the word is, that's used is really more like entrusted. It's more like giving yourself to and trusting that it's going to work out. And that's what Jesus did. And that's the example he calls us to follow. That we're going to, in the middle of this unfairness, I'm going to trust that if I stay on the path, good things will work out. We have a good God, and he doesn't call us to do things because they're going to harm us. He doesn't call us to do things because they're useless. If God is calling you to do something, he has a reason for it, and there's a blessing on the other end of it. And we've got no way of seeing it. Our vision is so limited. We, we can only see this little tiny portion of what's out there. And God says, if you'll just stay on this, if you'll just stay there. There's so many times where I'm, I'm talking with someone who's, you know, maybe 10, 12 years younger than me. And they're going through some of the same choices that I made. And I said, I know it doesn't make sense right now. I know it doesn't make sense. But if you don't max out your student loans and you live on some easy Mac for a little bit, trust me, in the end, <laughs> this will be to your benefit, right? This will be good. Because I did not. I ate chicken wings and went out all the time and spent all my money. And then it was very expensive later on, right? There's, there's these choices that people make and you're like, don't do that. I know you can't see. And it doesn't make sense. And it seems like this is the good thing right now. Don't do that. And God is calling his people and saying, you feel, I know it looks unfair and I know it looks difficult, but it had to be this way. And justice is coming and to stay on the path. Just stay with me and it will work out. Just stay with me. We've got to commit ourselves and trust ourselves to God. We've got to commit to believing that God will avenge me. That when people do things wrong to me, that it's not mine to avenge. 
In Jeremiah eleven twenty, it says, But you, Lord Almighty, who judge righteously and test the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. In Proverbs 20, 22, it says, Don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. That may not come in your lifetime. There may be people who wrong you, who prosper on this world to the end of their days or the end of yours. But in the end, justice will be served. Now, if I try to get that justice, who does that hurt? Most of the time, it hurts me. If I try to get that justice, most of the time, you know, they never catch the guy who hits first. They catch the guy who hits next, right? Because now the attention's drawn to him over and over and over. Any, sport, any fan of sports has seen over and over again, your player pushes the guy, or they, your player gets pushed, and then he pushes the guy back, and the guy just falls on the ground like he got hit by a sniper. And, and your guy's the guy who gets tossed over and over, right? The retaliation is the thing that gets caught. You hurt yourself. I hurt myself when I don't trust that God will avenge me, when I try to get my justice. I get locked into bitterness and anger, and all of my focus becomes on this person who's harmed me, and they have all the power instead of God having all the power. I've got to trust that God's going to get that justice, that I don't need to take it for myself. <coughs> and I've got to commit to believing that God will reward me. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And that therefore in that context was that Christ was obedient when things weren't fair. Nothing about Christ's life was fair. Nothing about what we did to him was fair. And yet he stayed the course. And Galatians 6, 9 says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, these temporary troubles are winning for us a permanent reward out of all proportion of our pain. That whatever you are going through, no matter how bad it hurts, there's a reward on the other end of it that will make it look like it was nothing. And again, it may not happen in your lifetime on this earth. It may. A lot of times it does. A lot of times God does bring the blessing and he does bring some awesome things out of it. But ultimately, ultimately, justice will always be served in your favor if you follow him. He'll always be there. And at the end of your life, you'll look back and you'll be proud of the things that you did and you'll be proud of the impact you had in eternity. Always. And finally, we've got to continue to do the right thing even if stuff's unfair. Continue to do the right thing anyway. 1 Peter 4.19 says, If you suffer for obeying God, you must have complete faith in your faithful creator and keep on doing right. Keep on going. It's so easy to get discouraged. I get it. It is so easy to get discouraged. The average lifespan of a full-time minister in the church is three years. That's on average, that's how long a minister lasts in the church. Because it is really difficult to do the right thing when people around you are hurting you. And there, there are other professions like that, that, that you go out and you do selfless things and it's easy to get really discouraged. It is hard to, teachers have such a hard job. Teachers have such a hard job because a lot of times it's thankless. A lot of times, though I grew up surrounded by teachers, a lot of times the only time you hear from the parents is when all of a sudden their kid's doing bad, or they don't like something you did, or their kid's in trouble, right? And they work so hard. There's so many times where 
we try to do the right thing, and it seems unfair, and it's easy to get discouraged. But doing good has two benefits in this life. It increases the likelihood that good things will happen, and it decreases the likelihood that bad things will happen. It doesn't mean you'll be protected forever. It doesn't mean nothing bad will ever happen to you. But stuff tends to go better when you're doing the right thing. Tends to, right? I'm not promising you will always go right, but you're more likely to get the blessing. You're more likely to have the good things happen. You will reap what you sow. God ultimately will bring the good out of it. So let's trust in God. Let's entrust ourselves to him, even when it's unfair, and continue to do the right thing. And so my challenge for you this morning is what, are, what good are we going to do? We acknowledge that life is unfair. Nobody's disputing that. Nobody can doubt that life is unfair and that we've got a lot to tackle in this life. What are we going to do about that? What kind of lives are we going to live? Are we going to be victims of that unfairness? Are we going to let that pull us down and drag us down to where we are suffering from it? Are we going to face it head on and trust the God who's going to carry us through it and do good and bring good in this life and show others how to do good as well? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you look into a world that's been broken a lot of times by decisions that we've made or others have made. And Lord, you don't give up hope and you don't give up the fight. Father, when you draw out in us the strength to carry on, to, to do good in unfair situations, to be a beacon of light and life to the world around us. Lord, can we show the world how to stand strong when stuff's unfair? Lord, how to honor you and, and please you, but all through all of it, Lord, is to our benefit. Um, Father, may we surrender to you and trust you through all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.